Okay, you can open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be continuing our study today in there. <coughs> and uh, we've had a long study. We're going to continue to study in Galatians for a little while. We've got a lot of stuff. We've been talking a lot about liberty, right? Uh, liberty in Christ Jesus. Paul's hammering that in to the churches that are in Galatia, right? Those that he helped to establish on his first missionary journey that we read about in Acts. And then as he went back and visited others or he heard about them, he heard that there were some things that were creeping in, right? The Judaizing teachers coming back and saying, well, even though you're a Christian, you still got to keep the law of Moses. Or even though you're a Christian, you still have to be circumcised. And so Paul is having to deal with this, right? We've, we've talked about this over and over. And he's discussed over and over about that liberty that we have in Christ. But as we went through it a little bit last week, he warned about not taking advantage of that liberty we have. In other words, not laying back and saying, well, I, I'm free to do whatever and to continue in sin. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying you are free to do whatever you want, but you're free in Christ. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. What does that mean? What does that exactly mean to have that freedom in Christ? Not to use our liberty as an op opportunity for the flesh. Not an opportunity to continue in sin. Not an opportunity to fall back, you might say. And to beware of being consumed by one another. You know, we, he's talking about that we have that freedom to live according to, the, what Christ, according to Christ's love. And our love for each other. Not, not biting each other, not consuming each other, but having a love for him and a love for each other that comes through that freedom in Christ Jesus and what he's done for us. So <clears throat> how are one, how is one, uh, a, how can one avoid the destruction or the destructive influences of the flesh? And Paul's going to talk about that a little bit. Let's go, let's turn over to chapter 5 in Galatians and let's read a few verses that he has here. He says, verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law all right there's three very powerful verses very um three verses that that kind of state the difference right kind of state what it means to be living in freedom in liberty in Christ Jesus and not in the flesh. How is that done? What's he talking about? What is the deal here? Well, he says, we must walk in the Spirit. And not only that, we must be led by the Spirit. Interesting verses, right? Interesting concepts. Why is it important for a Christian to know this? Well, if we're going to know, if we're going to understand who Jesus Christ was, if we're going to understand anything about the Spirit of God, the Spirit that we're walking, we've got to know what it means to be walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. We've got to look at that and kind of try to understand what is he saying there? How does one walk in the Spirit? How was one led by the Spirit? And from our text, we're going to observe some things regarding the flesh and the Spirit that may help us a little bit. We alluded to this a little bit last week, but we're going to get into it a little deeper today. And maybe this will help explain some things. You know, one of the probably, probably one of the biggest questions you ever ask is, what is the Holy Spirit? 
What does it mean to be walking in the Spirit? What does it mean to have the Spirit inside us, right? Yeah, it's kind of mysterious, right? It's something that we consider. I've been asked that question many times. I've tried to explain it. I'm not sure I've ever explained it fully. I'm not sure we can really. Not in the flesh, perhaps. But Paul's going to allude to this a little bit, and I think it can help us. It's, it's probably not as difficult as we tend to make it sometimes, right? It's probably really just pretty simple. And he starts off by saying their flesh and the spirit are opposites. They are opponents, and they're fighting for your soul. They are in opposition against each other. Uh, now, one thing I want to make clear here is... is who is what is the spirit we're talking about what are we talking about here with the spirit we as human beings we are in the flesh but we understand from what has been revealed to us that we have a spirit we have a soul right that soul is going to live on after the flesh dies right and uh, we understand that that soul is going to live one place or the other right we understand that but is he talking about that here well first and peter talks about have uh, the spirit as a human spirit turn over to first peter uh chapter two there and let's just read what he had to say about that in first peter uh chapter two and see what peter says uh verse 11 Yeah, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly, fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then turn over to Romans chapter 7 there, and let's see what Paul said to the uh, to Christians in Rome about the Spirit. Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> and let's begin in verse 21. He says, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, though, Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So what he's saying here is, there is certainly a war going on between the flesh and our spirit. And of course, that's something that we have to be consider consider of we have to consider that right we have to understand that but i think what he's talking about here in galatians is not our spirit but the holy spirit the holy spirit of god it's in reference to that spirit that he gave to the apostles the disciples on the day of pentecost the context explains it uh, in verse chapter three paul's he has some earlier references to the spirit uh, he said in, in, uh, earlier that uh, through the Spirit we eagerly wait for that hope of righteousness. Remember when we talked about that? That hope to be fully righteous through the Spirit, through what the Spirit has done and what the Spirit reveals for us. And through the Spirit, we, uh, Paul's letter arguments, he says, if we live in the Spirit, there in chapter 5, if we live in the Spirit, we are also walking the Spirit. Well, of course, if he's talking about the human spirit, that wouldn't make any sense, right? 
So he's referring to the Holy Spirit here. And then reaping, uh, reaping everlasting life of the Spirit, we're going to read that in chapter 6 eventually. He talks about that everlasting life that we reap through the Spirit. And of course, if we're talking about our Spirit, that wouldn't make any sense. So I think what Paul's referring to here, obviously, is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, that, that Spirit is at war with the flesh. While the flesh pulls us in one direction, the Spirit would have us go in another direction. As Christians, or really as anybody, you can't serve both. Can't be done. You gotta serve one or the other. We know that's scriptural, right? We read about that a lot in scripture. And if we follow the lusts of the flesh, we cannot do the will of the Spirit. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Let's read some things from Romans 6. <clears throat> what has to say about that? Particularly in verse 12. Romans 6 and verse 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you, you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. In other words, the word of God becomes this sword, right? This thing that we use to keep ourselves out of the flesh, to keep ourselves from sin. Uh, Romans 8, let's read a few verses from there. Beginning in verse 1, he says, There is therefore now <clears throat> no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The things, according to the things of the Spirit. For to be carefully, carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, getting into the Word, we can become someone, a person who walks in the Spirit or who is led by the Spirit, just like Jesus was. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted? When Satan came and said, and gave him these temptations, and he was tempted just like we are. He was truly tempted. You might say, well, he's God. You know, God's not tempted. God's perfect. No, he came in the flesh that he might understand what it's like to be in the flesh. He knew the temptation. He saw the temptation. He was tempted. How did he handle it? Turn over to Matthew 4, and let's just see. Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> Remember, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's been fasting. He's certainly tired. He's probably famished. He's very famished. And Satan comes at that opportune time. In verse 4, Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Interesting. 
he quotes scripture. The second temptation there in verse 7, what else does he do? Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Hmm. Another verse. How about verse 10? Let's see what he says there. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So how did Jesus handle temptation? He knew the word. He used the word to refute Satan. Now what's that say about us? Well, first of all, we need to know the word, don't we? And apparently, there's something about using the word that will make Satan flee. After these temptations, as Satan left him. Right? There's something about using that word. Knowing the word that helps us to be led and to live in the spirit. Those warring factions, right? Being pulled by the flesh or being pulled by the spirit. Which is it going to be? Well, maybe walking in the spirit, first of all, means we need to know the word. We need to understand it. We need to know what God has revealed to us through his word. So, the lust of the flesh or the spirit of God, which is it going to be? Only one offers, as we just read there, life and peace. The other offers what? Death. And prevents us from serving God. And Paul is going to now add another point. Think about that a little bit. If we don't know the word... How will we be able to handle temptation? How will we be able to fight those, you know, Satan and his angels, you might say, or his, his compatriots? <clears throat> well, something else Paul's going to get into that talks about what we get or how we can do that. Turn back over to Galatians chapter 4 there. Let's read something real quickly that we... Study a little while back, but I want to read it again. He says in chapter 4, verse 21, <clears throat> Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For those are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you do not hear. You who do not hear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, ye, we there, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We are no longer under the law of Moses. 
That's the point he's driving home here. And for us, that's true too, right? In the context, the law has a primary reference to the law of Moses, and the purpose of the law was twofold. We want to know what that is? Let's turn over to Romans 3. Now, we've had some lessons on this, but we're going to sum it up a little bit right here. Romans 3, beginning in verse 19. <clears throat> now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, those who are in bondage, those who were of Hagar, those who were of Mount Sinai and Arabia, they were under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law was there to condemn us all as sinners. That's one of, one of the major purposes of the law, was to condemn us all as guilty. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Through the law, we know sin. Through the law, we're condemned because we're all guilty of sin. In other words, we're in bondage. We're bound by that law in our sins. We have no hope because we can't do anything about it. So to be under the law is to be under a state of condemnation. Those led by the Spirit, though, which we just read about there in Romans 8, free from condemnation, not under the law, not bound, not in bondage. We are of the free woman, Sarah. We are children of the promise. Therefore, even when we can do nothing for ourselves, God has done for us the greatest thing that could ever be done. He has freed us from our guilt. He has freed us from that sin. Now we have a hope. Something we couldn't do ourselves. We now have that freedom through Christ Jesus. Freedom from the obligation to keep the law. Freedom from the law of sin and death and freedom from condemnation. Led by the Spirit, one is free from both condemnation and obligation. Well, how is one led by the Spirit? The Spirit leads both externally and internally, okay? You have a quote here in your outline if you want to read it. I'll read it. The Spirit leads both externally and internally. Externally, the Spirit supplies the gospel truth as set forth in the New Testament. And the rules and precepts there found are for the instruction and guidance of God's children. But internally, the Spirit aids by ministering strength and comfort to the disciples in his effort to conform to the revealed truth and will of God. So that's McGarvey and Pendleton. That's a quote from those commentaries. What are we saying there? Well, externally, we are given knowledge about sin and death. We are given knowledge about freedom in Christ through that spirit. And we know truth that's been revealed. The world says there's no absolute truth. You can do whatever you want. You know, we're just here and 
might as well get as much fun and love and say love. I shouldn't say that, should I? Get as much out of life as we can, right? Because we're going to die and that's it. And that's a temporary thing, right? But that's how the world thinks. We're living in the moment. We don't care about the past. We don't care about the future. We're just here. What an awful existence, though. I mean, what do you do when you're sitting there in your bed at night and you're pondering, you can't sleep? I do this sometimes, I guess. I don't count sheep. I ponder my future. And then I can't sleep anymore either after that because I'm thinking, what are we going to (laughs) do? No. But the point is, they don't have any hope. We as Christians have a promise. That makes us free. And that spirit leads us in all knowledge of truth externally, but internally that spirit gives us something else, a strength, right? A will to serve God because now we know what he's done for us. These are externally through the word and the word is that instrument used by the spirit to convict us to instruct us, right? And the Spirit was sent to convict the world. In fact, let's go over to the book of John and just read some things the Lord said about that just to understand that fully. John 16. John 16 in the beginning in verse 5. He says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Interesting. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Spirit was sent to convict the world. That's one thing. Convict the world of sin. To show the world it's going to be judged. What else? Continuing on there. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot hear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Spirit was sent to guide the apostles into all truth. Apostles went out and did what? Preached to all the world. And because of that, we have what they said in the Word written down. And we can understand what the Spirit said the Spirit did through them. So, Spirit came into the world to convict the world, Spirit came to guide the apostles and us into all truth, that we might know the truth. 
Turn to Ephesians 6. See something else about that word. Verse 5. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Actually, I meant to give verse 17. Sorry about that. Wrote it down wrong. Hold on a minute. Verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, change that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. In other words, the revealed word through the Spirit becomes our sword, becomes our instrument. Right? Interesting concept, also another interesting concept. Turn over to chapter, uh, Acts chapter 7. Let's see something that's written here. Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> Verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. To resist the word is to resist the spirit. All right? I want you to keep that in mind. Just like Israel did when the apostles began to preach. What he's making there. They resisted the apostles, did not believe. They heard the truth, and they rejected it. Therefore, through their rejection of the apostles' preaching, they rejected the Spirit. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's see something else that's talked about there. Verse 36, 1 Corinthians 14. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be decently and in order. In other words, when we resist, when we're not doing things in order, when we're not 
trying to understand that word, we're resisting the Spirit. Well, when one sets their mind on the things of the Spirit or His revealed word, they will do things according to the Spirit. They will live, they will experience life and peace, and when one walks with the Spirit by being led by His word, they will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and they will thus be led by the Spirit. They will produce something too. When you're led by the Spirit, when you're led by that revealed word, you're going to produce some fruit. Can't help it. It's going to happen. Fruit tree grows, produces fruit. When the vine is attached to the root, just like we're attached to God through Christ, we're going to produce fruit, that fruit of the Spirit. You've heard that phrase, if you're living and being led by the Spirit, you're going to produce fruit. The Spirit leads us internally, and this is something I want to make sure you understand, by His indwelling. Okay? You may have heard people say, well, the Spirit doesn't really live in us. It's the Word, right? And that's true. The Word is revealed through the Spirit. But Scripture is very plain. That Spirit indwells in us. Remember Paul talked about, we are the temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. The Spirit lives in our bodies, in our temple, right? Therefore, do not, that's one of the reasons we got to be careful about sin. Why would we defile our bodies when we have the Spirit that lives within us? By strengthening the inner man is one way that Spirit lives within us. Turn back over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. <clears throat> it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Wait a minute, let me read that again. Now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Paul's saying, wait a minute. We can do things abundantly. How? Through that power, through that spirit that works in us. So when that spirit has us indwelled, God works in us. God works through us. Yeah, we serve him. We are still in the body. We're still in the flesh. But that spirit indwelling us now does good works through us. Okay, you say, well, I, I can't do things. I, I, that's not about it. It's not about what you can't or can do. When you set your will to serve, the spirit will do. The spirit will do things through you. Even as we... As I said, work out our own salvation. Philippians 2, you know the verse. Work out your own uh, salvation, right? And then he says, and the famous Philippians 4.13, right? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. The Spirit indwells us. We know 
the Spirit, we know about the Word, we know the, God, uh, the, the Word that's revealed to us through the Spirit. It's not some kind of miraculous, funky thing. You know, yes, there were miracles. The Spirit had miraculous gifts that were given in the first century. But those went away. Those were not there forever. We know that in 1 Corinthians, I can do is read 12 and 13 and understand that. How Paul says, I now see things dimly, but when I understand fully, we don't need that anymore. We now have the full word that's been revealed to us, the canon of Scripture. We don't need the miraculous gifts anymore, but that spirit still indwells us, just like it did those in the first century. His spirit is at work. Not only that, let's turn back over to Romans 8. And I'll say it again. You ought to be reading Romans 8 every morning when you wake up. I haven't been lately. I need to get back to doing it. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. That's pretty plain, isn't it? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Wait a minute, what did he say there? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh. You see, we're in the flesh. We really can't put the deeds of the flesh to death on our own, by ourselves. First of all, because... If you don't know the word, you don't know what you're doing wrong anyways. That's the world thinking, right? We know right and wrong by the word, by that word that's been revealed through the spirit. Therefore, we understand what sin is. And we understand it's convicted us. But through his working in us, through the word externally, his working through us internally, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. You say, I... I'm struggling, man. I've got this one thing. I'm tempted badly. I can't get out of it. Then maybe you need to be a little bit more in the Word, and maybe you need to be on your knees in prayer. Maybe you need to be in Romans 8 every morning when you get up. I know that's easier said than done, right? Temptation is hard sometimes. That's why I wanted you to understand how did Jesus deal with it. He quoted scripture. That scripture revealed to us through him and the word and the spirit that we can use to rebuke the evil one. To get out of any temptation that mankind can throw at us. That the world can throw at us. That Satan can throw at us. That's how it's done. That spirit within us. In this way, the Spirit likewise leads us in conjunction with the Word. When we make the effort to read the Word, the Spirit aids us. I know when you read the Word sometimes, you, you got some difficult verses in there. Paul wrote some stuff sometimes that you go, what? And you got to go back and read it ten times and you still don't get it. But if you're in prayer and you're only praying about it and saying, Lord, help me understand what you want, you're going to get it. And the Spirit's going to be working within you and helping you do that. Supplying us what strength we may need. In other words, 
helping us to produce fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, right? Things that on our own can never be done. So, to illustrate, consider the development of a Christ-like character. Turn over to 2 Peter, and let's read some verses. And these are some very good verses to think on, to read and think on. So after you finish Romans 8 every morning, read 2 Peter 1. All right? 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. We can't, we can't just live and just say, okay, I'm just going to lay back and let it happen. No. You have to be diligent about your faith. You have to be diligent about your walk. Yeah, we understand the Spirit is aiding us, but we got to get to busy. Get busy. We got to get to it. We can't just lay back and let it come. It ain't going to happen that way, folks. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self control. To self control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. There's a progression there. You can see that, right? For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that's powerful. Do you desire to be led by the Spirit? Then let Him strengthen you through the Word. Be in the Word. Christians are led by the Spirit externally and internally. We can't just lay back. You've probably got some friends who say they're Christians, right? They live like the world. They're not diligent about their faith, right? It's not something you can just lay back and do. You've got to be at work. Yes, we are saved through grace. Nothing else we can do. We're not, anything we can do can save us. But you better be diligent about your Christianity, about your desire to be with Him forever. And understand that the Spirit is there helping us 24-7. So next time you're tempted, next time you say, I'm in a tight spot, understand that Spirit's there to help you. Maybe just quote some scripture for yourself. Might help you a lot. I probably confuse you to death. Hope not. Maybe that helps understand the Spirit a little bit, how we understand how that works. Anyways, time's up. Thanks for being here.